Uh, we're going to continue our study in Nehemiah, or at least uh, kind of, in our time together this evening. Now, if you remember, uh, the walls have been completed, and the focus has now been shifted to reforming the people. There has been a newfound emphasis on the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit has been working. Uh, in chapter 8, the people have just celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, and as the Scriptures continue to take centre stage, a great convicting work has commenced. And as a result of this convicting work, Nehemiah chapter 9 is a confessional prayer. And it is a glorious chapter that reveals much about our God. But before we walk through this, I want to draw your attention to their reaction towards their sin in the first three verses. So Nehemiah at chapter 9 And we will read from verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book, of the law of the Lord their God, one fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Amen. So it is evident that the people are incredibly convicted over their sin. There is a newfound concern about holiness. And as a great work is occurring in the hearts of the people, verse 1 informs us that they commence a fast. And this got me thinking about the role of fasting in the life of the believer. And hence I would like to use this text as a bit of a springboard to conduct a Bible study on the topic of fasting. Now, if you've been in the church for any period of time, you will know there are varying opinions. And it is my intention to clear up what I think are some misunderstandings and mistakes and show to you what the Scriptures teach and determine what role fasting should play in our lives. But before we begin this, uh, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we do thank you uh, for who you are. Father, we thank you that you are a great God. And it is our desire to honour, worship and glorify you. Lord, tonight we want to know what your word teaches about fasting. Please help us to understand uh, what the scriptures teach and give us the grace and discernment that is required to correct uh, any misunderstandings. Father, please help me as your servant to proclaim your word truthfully. And please grant to us the precious gift of illumination that we so desperately need. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fasting is definitely a biblical concept. It is found in both Testaments, so it cannot be explained away as an old covenant practice. For there are some 30 references within the New Testament alone. In the Old Testament, we read of Moses... 
Samson, Samuel, Hannah, David, Elijah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, and many more who all fasted. In the New Testament, you know, it tells us about Anna who fasted, John the Baptist and his disciples, the Apostle Paul, and of course, Jesus Christ. We also know from church history that the early fathers fasted. Calvin, Luther, Wesley, Whitfield, many other outstanding Christian leaders practiced fasting. So it is clear from the scriptures and from church history that fasting is spoken of positively and favorably. And hence, it would be wise for us to understand what role, if any, fasting ought to play in our lives according to the Word of God. We are not interested in the opinions of man. Kurong have the latest and greatest books about fasting. There's all sorts of weird and wacky advice. I read a few snippets and some of it borders insanity. And hence, we need to consider what the Scriptures have to say. And I want to study this by offering six biblical statements about fasting. And God willing, this will shape our understanding of this spiritual exercise. So, statement number one. Biblical fasting is a spiritual exercise. I think a good place to begin would be with a definition. Now, what does it mean to fast? The Hebrew word used speaks of a practice that means to cover the mouth, to abstain from food. The Greek word means to abstain as a religious exercise from food and drink. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the concept of fasting. It involves abstaining generally from food and sometimes also drink. When the Bible speaks of fasting, this is what is generally involved. Now there are some who believe that it ought not to be limited to this, that that is a narrow view And they say that fasting can include abstaining from any enjoyable or pleasurable activity. And the text for this is 1 Corinthians 7, 5. And this is where Paul talks about abstaining from maritable privileges for a brief period. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, No, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in of itself. And I don't have a problem with that interpretation. But when the scriptures speak of fasting, it is predominantly talking about abstaining from food and drink. The important thing that we must understand is that biblical fasting is a spiritual exercise. It is done for a spiritual purpose. That is the clear testimony of Scripture. Every scriptural account of genuine fasting is linked with prayer. The text before us is an example. They fast in verse 1, and then they launch into a prayer of Confession. 
And identifying that prayer and fasting are viewed together is important. Because prayer is a spiritual discipline and so is fasting. A biblical fasting is not just a form of physical discipline. It is not purely a physical thing that we perform because it is good for our bodies. Now doctors will tell you that fasting is good for your health. And if you practice this for physical benefits, that's a good thing. Many modern diets incorporate it. But what we must understand is that fasting, fasting as found in the Bible, does not focus on the physical realm. It is a spiritual thing. Fasting, as the Bible teaches, is a voluntary abstaining for a specific spiritual purpose. Zechariah 7.5 says this, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? The people here are being rebuked because they fasted in an incorrect way. And the Lord says unto them, Do ye at all fast unto me? No, they failed to think of God in their fasting. It was meant to be a spiritual thing, not a mere physical or outward activity. And that is the fundamental key. Biblical fasting is a spiritual activity. Statement number two. Biblical fasting is always for a specific purpose. If one was to consider every reference to legitimate fasting throughout the Bible, we don't have time for this, but one would quickly discover that fasting is always for a specific purpose. It is never portrayed as a religious ritual that should be observed in a mechanical manner. Fasting is not to be done because the church does it every Friday, nor is it to be done because of some religious festival, nor is it a spiritual duty that is to be regularly observed. But as Lloyd-Jones put it, fasting is something unusual or exceptional, something done now and again for a specific spiritual purpose. And let's consider a couple of examples. Second Samuel chapter 12. Here David fasted and he wept for his dying child. Nehemiah chapter 9. The people fasted and they mourned over their sin. Esther chapter 4. The Jews fasted when they were threatened with extermination at the hands of Haman. Jonah chapter 3, Nineveh fasted when Jonah pronounced judgment upon them. Luke chapter 4, Jesus fasted as he prepared for the commencement of his ministry. And Acts chapter 13, the church at Antioch fasted as they sought the Lord's direction. So it is clear from these examples that there is always a purpose. It is not simply fasting for the sake of fasting. 
Neither is it fasting because the church said, I must do it. No, it is not a mechanical thing. It is not rigid in nature. But rather, it is something that one does when they feel compelled or led towards it for some specific purpose. Whether that be confession, whether that be lamentation, consecration, direction, mourning, it it is always undertaken for a reason. It is an urgent and extraordinary seeking of God for deliverance, direction, comfort, forgiveness, or such like. You know, the Pharisees are an example of what fasting is not. Now, in Luke chapter 18, verse 12, speaking of the Pharisees, it says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, the Pharisees have turned this into a ritual, into something that they kept in a mechanical fashion. Now, they would fast twice a week. On the second day and the fifth day. Now they claim that the reason why they done this was because these were the two days that Moses made two separate trips to receive the law from Mount Sinai. But it's very interesting that these two days just happened to be the two major Jewish market days, which I'll come back to in a moment. So a biblical fast is one that is undertaken for a specific purpose where one forsakes physical needs in order to seek God about some pressing spiritual issue. It's not a practice that we are to undertake ritually. If a biblical fasting doesn't fast for the sake of fasting. A statement number three. A biblical fasting is not to be done to be seen by men. Now, if you ever heard someone preach or teach on fasting and all that they talk about is their fasting habits and the tremendous spiritual blessings that they have received and how their fasting was so humbling and yet here they are bragging about it. And how much power God has given them because they fasted. You know, I've had the unfortunate encounter with one preacher who decided to speak on fasting. And I found out how great this man was. It was all about his habitual fasting and how God had blessed him through it. He explained how long he had fasted and that he could fast so much longer than anyone else. And then when I thought it couldn't get any worse, he asked his preacher friend to come up on stage and tell everyone how good he was at fasting. And you know, the problem with preaching and teaching like this is that it is contrary to the teaching of Jesus. Now turn to Matthew chapter 6 if you would. In Matthew chapter 6, this is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And the central theme of this sermon is really destroying hypocrisy. It is a warning about outward acts of righteousness simply performed to be seen by men. And Jesus addressed fasting directly. 
So Matthew chapter 6, and let's read from verse 16 down to verse 18. It says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thine face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So Jesus begins by attacking the way that the hypocrites fasted. The hypocrites, this is a reference to the Pharisees. As I mentioned before, they fasted two days a week. And these two days happened to be the two main market days when the streets were filled with the most people. Surprise, surprise. Now when the Pharisees fasted, they wanted everyone to know about it. One author said this, now, the Pharisees would often wear old clothes, sometimes purposefully torn and soiled, messed up their hair, covered themselves with dirt and ashes, and even used makeup in order to look pale and sickly. Now, that they wanted everyone to know that they were fasting. So look at how great I am. But this attitude of outward show is brutally attacked by Christ. And he teaches that if one fasts, they are to remain natural, act normal, don't publicize it. It is to be done secretly. For fasting is not unto man, but unto God. That is the point. If one is to practice this spiritual exercise, they are not to blow the trumpet and draw attention to themselves. It's between the individual and the Lord. That is biblical fasting. Statement number four. Biblical fasting gives no special power or growth. It is rather common for for Christians, particularly those who advocate fasting, that they declare that their practice of fasting brings them closer to God in a way that nothing else does. And it gives them a power that no other activity does. But no matter how much one may protest, and no matter how much they may offer these compelling stories to support their claims, it simply isn't true. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that fasting is a means to gain merit, favour, power or growth from God. And my friend, fasting is not some secret technique that enables you to tap into some hidden divine resource. It's completely unscriptural. Fasting is never presented as having any value in and of itself. John MacArthur had these insightful remarks. He said, fasting is never shown in scripture to be the means to heighten spiritual experience visions or special insight or awareness it has no inherent efficacy or merits 
No, fasting in of itself does not change us. It doesn't sanctify us. It doesn't empower us, nor does it make us more like Christ. Beloved, it is the Scriptures that sanctify. And as someone said, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, not the restriction of our diets. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Romans 12, 2. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. As one scholar put it, don't look for external fasting to do for you what God has appointed the scriptures to do. No, fasting is not designed to put righteous desires into you. It's meant to be a means to express urgent desires that already exist. No, fasting is an effect of spiritual urgency, not the cause of it. Look for God in his word, not in bodily hunger pains, for that is what will produce the spiritual growth you desire in your walk with Christ. There's a phrase there, fasting is an effect of spiritual urgency, not the cause of it. Now, there is a a verse in 1 Corinthians that I think is rather insightful. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, which says, But meats commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Now, the context of this verse is speaking about food offered to idols. But I think the principle applies to fasting. Whether we eat, whether we don't eat, whether we fast, whether we don't, this in no way makes us more commendable before God. Statement number five. Biblical fasting is never commanded No one has the right to ever tell you that you must fast. That it is a requirement. That you are a failure as a believer if you are not fasting. No one has the right to put you on a guilt trip or to strive to manipulate you to fast. Because no one has the scriptural authority to do this. The only place in the Bible where fasting might be commanded is the Day of Atonement. And to be completely honest with you, even that could probably be debated. Because in both texts, that is Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23, it doesn't actually say fasting. The Hebrew word for fasting is not there. The translation in the KJV, it says, afflicting your souls. Now this can include fasting, and historically the Jews do fast at Yom Kippur, but even this one text that may command fasting is still not clear. And obviously since Christ has come and fulfilled the Day of Atonement, we as New Covenant believers no longer celebrate it. And hence... We must understand that there is no commandments in either testament that declares we must fast. It's not there. There is no imperative. The scriptures speak positively of it, for sure. It's not prohibited, but it remains non 
compulsory. Now those who advocate fasting will point you to a couple of verses in the Gospels. In Matthew 6, 16, it says, Moreover, when ye fast. And in Mark chapter 2, it says, But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And the argument will go something like this. Now they will say, look at what Jesus says. He says, when ye fast. It doesn't say if. And then they will wax on that. This means fasting is compulsory. But to be honest with you, that is terrible exegesis to interpret these texts this way. Now the context in the passage of Mark is the Pharisees challenging Jesus as to why his disciples do not fast. John's disciples did, why didn't Jesus? And Jesus counters this by declaring that it is completely inappropriate to fast when the bridegroom was present. In other words, it is not suitable to fast at a wedding. Because a wedding is a joyous occasion. And that is the point Christ is making. I am with the disciples. And hence, fasting is not necessary. It's a joyous time when I am present. But there is a time coming when I will be taken away. This speaking predominantly of the cross and then the ascension. When this happens, when Christ is taken, then fasting would be more proper. It certainly isn't a command. There's no imperative. It's simply an acknowledgement that there is a time coming when it would be appropriate for the disciples to fast. The text in Matthew that says, when they fast... Now, scholars say this could be translated, if and when you fast. Now, this is not Jesus saying we must fast. Once again, it's not an imperative. Now, yes, it's true Jesus doesn't prohibit fasting. In fact, it's never prohibited through the Scriptures. Christ allows it and regards it as a proper activity in certain circumstances. But in no way can this be regarded as a command. And the point that those who believe fasting is a command must wrestle with is that if fasting is a command, then why do the epistles, the letters written for the church, they never even use the verb to fast, not once let alone a mention of it as a command. And that is particularly instructive because the epistles mention much about prayer. And remember we said before that fasting was always linked with prayer. And yet despite all of the teaching on praying, there is a striking silence about fasting. Such silence is inconceivable if God intended a regular, detailed approach to fasting to be an ongoing part of the life of every believer. Fasting is entirely appropriate in certain circumstances. And there will be times when it is beneficial, but it is never 
commanded. And hence, if one doesn't fast, that is okay. And no one ever has any authority to guilt or manipulate another believer into fasting. Statement number six. A biblical fasting leaves the details to the discretion of the believer. What is particularly striking is that the scriptures give absolutely no regulations about fasting. Now, how long should I fast? What should I fast from? Now, these types of questions are simply not answered. If one was to consider every fast in the Bible, you would see quickly there is much variety. Jesus fasted for 40 days. The Apostle Paul in Acts 9, he fasted for three Esther speaks of no food and no drink, whereas Daniel only admitted meat and wine in his fast. You know, there is no set standard. Oh, Jesus in his teaching taught us how to pray, and yet he was silent in how we are to fast. No specific details are given. And it seems as though the details of one's fast is left to one's own discretion. So if you feel led to fast because there is some pressing issue in your life and you feel as though fasting will help you, will assist you in seeking God, by all means do it. One day, three days, one week, whatever you decide. Some food... All food, water, no water, whatever you feel like will help you in seeking the Lord, do it. But remember, fasting is not a means in of itself, and it is the heart that is the key. For there is no right fasting apart from a right heart and a right attitude. And that is vastly more important than how long should I fast or what should I abstain from. For when the heart is not right, fasting is a sham and it is a mockery. Now, fasting is something that has probably disappeared from our thinking. I know I don't think about it very often. But in certain circumstances, it's definitely a profitable exercise if conducted in a biblical way. If you feel compelled to fast in order to help you seek the Lord wholeheartedly about a particular distress, about a particular burden, by all means do it. For the scriptures do not prohibit it. But on the other hand, it does not command it. So one mustn't feel guilty or inferior if they decide not to fast. Nor should one make another Christian feel ashamed or to be a second class believer because they do not fast. For that is completely and utterly unbiblical and it's displeasing to our God. You know, that is what I think a biblical philosophy of fasting. You know, and I trust that helps you to understand this optional aspect of the Christian life. Amen.